Would you agree we live in a world that has many choices? Amen, amen. Uh, we have so many choices. What to eat? New Myers opened up in Menor, and uh, the day it opened up, like, there was a million people. You'd, you'd think, like, somebody famous came to Menor, and it was just a grocery store opening up. But it was a big deal, right? So how many went on opening day to, yeah, see, there's a few of you. Yeah, all right, awesome, awesome. So uh, what to eat, what to wear, uh, what to watch, what to listen to, what to do in our free time. See, we live in a culture where we have free time. There's some places in the world where they have no free time. All their time is spent just trying to survive. So what to do in our free time, who to hang out with, who to love, who to serve, when to speak, when to listen, and what to say. Some choices don't matter much. Skippy or Jif? Oh, I forgot about Peter Pan. I could only remember I could only remember Skippy. I actually had to Google what are some other ones, and and Jif was the next one. Anyway, so Skippy or Jif, yeah. Uh, but little choices can add up. For example, what we do in our free time compounds over time. So, are we using our free time to learn and grow, or just pass the time until we have to do something like go to work on Monday morning? Or go to school. Then there are the big choices. The big choices that really change the trajectory of our lives. Tell you a story about a big choice I made, had to make, got to make. Uh, Saturday morning, July 1996. Some of you heard this story before. Uh, but I'd been married to Betsy. Oh, she's not. Oh, there she is. I'm like, where'd she go? You're not Betsy. So married to Betsy, not Tim, uh, for 15 years, and uh, we had four children at that time. We're in the process of adopting our fifth, Leanna, and I was driving to Toledo. I was on my way to uh, National Guard drill. I was the operations officer for the 612th Engineer Battalion, Ohio National Guard, and I had a drill every two weekends, every other weekend, two weekends a month. And to be honest, I loved every minute of it. I loved every minute, well, almost every minute of my time in the military. I loved the adventure. I loved the challenge. I loved the responsibility. And I loved serving my country. In fact, uh, I was a follower of Jesus on that day. I mean, before that. Uh, but I think I, then I probably loved serving the military, serving in the army more than I loved serving Jesus. But on that morning, God gave me a choice. He spoke to my heart uh, louder and clearer than if it was an audible voice. And he said this. He said, what are you doing? That's what God said to me. That's all he said. What are you doing? But I knew exactly what he meant when he asked me that question. So are you following me? Or are you following your plan? And so he gave me a choice to make. Follow him or continue to follow my plan. He's essentially saying, I need you to give up your military service so that I can take you on a different adventure. So I chose what God called me to do. Betsy didn't believe me at first, but I did. 
And that led me on this new adventure. It led Betsy and I on this new adventure. It led our kids on this new adventure. And part of that new adventure included coming here in 1999 as the youth pastor. And it's funny how God works because in 2000, God opened the door for me to start serving again in the military. I received out of the blue a letter from the army and said, hey, we need ROTC reservists to serve as ROTC instructors during the week. Normally drills are on the weekends, but this posting was during the week, one day a week. And since pastors only work on Sundays, I was available. And so I took it. And that was just cool that God brought the thing I loved back into my life. I mean, one of the things, not the only thing. One of, I love you more than the army. Um, she knows that. But brought that back. So anyway, that was a, a cool side note. But God gives us choices that will change the directory of our lives. And when he does, he often makes it pretty clear what our choice ought to be. So here's the key. Are we listening to God as we make our choices? We have a choice in front of us. Are we listening to God? Okay, God, I've got these choices. Which one should I make? Or sometimes God gives us a choice, and we're like, ah, oh, okay, God, I'll go with the choice you're giving me. But are we listening to God when we make our choices? So take that question and tuck it back in your brain. Let that app run in the background as we jump into our study, back into our study, the book of Romans. So the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul, just a little review, he wrote the book of Romans. It's actually a letter to the church of Rome, and he wrote it in approximately 57 A.D. And when, when he wrote this book, this letter, Paul described himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. So this is who Paul is, a servant of Christ Jesus, when he wrote the book of Romans. And he also said that he's called to be an apostle and is set apart for the gospel. So this is Paul's purpose. So he's a servant of Christ, and his purpose is to be set apart to share the gospel. And something we need to, ha we need to remember about Paul is 25, about 25 years before he wrote the gospel of, or, or the book of Romans, Paul's name was Saul, and Saul was a very, very bad person. And so Saul, a person with a murderous heart, he met Jesus. Jesus transformed his life. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he became Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle to share the gospel to the Gentiles. And so in chapters 1 through 8, we learned about dangerous faith. And certainly Paul lived a dangerous faith. And so in Romans, <coughs> he taught us about dangerous faith. Kind of the key verse in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, or also to the Gentiles. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul encourages us to have dangerous faith. Dangerous faith is when a believing, trusting, faithful follower of Jesus 
steps out of his or her controlled and comfortable environment and steps into the darkness and the brokenness and the despair of the world around them. Dangerous faith. We talked about how it's not dangerous to people, but what is it dangerous to? It's dangerous to evil and malice and strife and hatred and foolishness and brokenness and despair and loneliness and addiction and depression. That's the world we live in. And a dangerous faith is dangerous to all those things. I think we all want to have a dangerous faith. A believing, trusting, faithful faith that is dangerous. More and more dangerous every day. None of us woke up this morning desiring to be a spiritual couch potato. Amen? Because if you desire to be a spiritual couch potato, you wouldn't be here this morning. We all woke up this morning desiring God to transform us in a fresh new way, in such a dramatic way that we overcome our circumstances and we step into a God-sized great adventure that changes the world around us. This is who we want to be. We don't want to be spiritual couch potatoes. We want to be believing, faithful uh, followers of Jesus and despair in this world. So the choices we make will determine how dangerous our faith will be. Are we listening to God as we make our choices? Dangerous faith or spiritual couch potato? We get to choose. But I think we all know what God is calling us to choose. What choice he's calling us to make. You know, God also makes choices. And his choices definitely affect the trajectory of people's lives. Today we begin to tackle Romans 9, chapter 9 through chapter 11. And these chapters are all about choices. And so we begin. Turn to Romans chapter 9, verse 1, page 945. I want to read the first five verses. Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears, bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. So what's Paul telling us? He's telling us that the Israelites had all the advantages regarding a relationship with God. Paul says to them belong the adoption into God's kingdom, the glory of God, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. They also have Jesus Christ who, who was a Jew and also God, and that's the incarnation, right? Man, fully man, fully God, the incarnation. They're God's chosen people 
In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, God says this for, to the, the Israelites, For you are a people holy to the Lord our God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So the Israelites had all the advantages regarding a relationship with God, but their failure to embrace Jesus cut them off from God. Have you ever seen this before? A person has it all. They have the brains. They have the brawn. They have the family name. They get all the breaks. Everything is going their way. But then they squander their opportunity and choose a path of mediocrity or even worse, a path of destruction. How do most people respond when they see that happen to someone? How do mo not you, but how do most people respond? They say what? They, they criticize, like how could this happen? What else? What else? What do people say? What's that? Jealousy. Oh, jealousy. Man, if only I had everything you had, I would handle it in a much better way. Okay, anybody else? Disgust, like, how could you blow it? Karen? You had it all, and now, now you have nothing. How could you throw all that away? What were you thinking? But how does Paul respond to his fellow Israelites who seem to be squandering their opportunity to choose the great adventure in Jesus. Instead, they throw it all away, and they choose the path of destruction. It says Paul is broken-hearted. He's not jealous or condemning or judgmental. It says Paul is broken-hearted because so many of his fellow Israelites have rejected the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He knows that without Jesus, they are on the path of destruction. They are separated eternally from God. And so his broken heart leads him to declare, this is amazing, Paul says that he wishes he could take their place, that he could be cut off from Christ, so that, has, so that his fellow Israelites could experience what Jesus did. Now Paul knows in reality that he can't be their substitute. He can't take their place. But he knows that Jesus already did that. Jesus paid the price for their sins. For his fellow Israelites, Jesus paid for their sins. Jesus actually did what Paul desired to do for his fellow Israelites. And so Paul knows and he preaches that Jesus died so that people could have life in him. And so when Paul is declaring, I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ, he's saying, I would do anything to point them to Jesus. Anything. And that's how he lived his life. But what a heart Paul had for God and for others. He had the heart of a rescuer. The love, his love for others, flowed from Jesus' love for him. Remember who Paul was, transformed. A murderous spirit 
to a man of God. So Paul's choice, live as a spiritual couch potato or join Jesus as he rescues those who call on his name to be saved. That's the choice Paul demonstrates for us. We have that same choice, spiritual couch potato or a person, a follower of Jesus, a believing, trusting, faithful follower of Jesus who has a rescuer's heart for the people who don't know him. So Paul's brokenhearted that some of his fellow Israelites who consider themselves to be chosen people are really not chosen. And then he defends this conclusion. He defends this conclusion that some Israelites are not chosen by God. In verse 6 he says this, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. I have to admit, Romans chapter 9 gets very technical theologically. And we're not going to have time to go there. But hang with me and we can talk about Romans 9. In fact, John Piper, if you know John Piper, just this, this amazing pastor, preacher, theologian, he took a nine-month sabbatical to study the doctrine contained in Romans chapter 9 and to write a book about it. Okay, we don't have nine months to talk about Romans 9. So in Romans chapter 9, verse 6, I just read that. So in this verse, Paul's making a distinction between ethnic Jews and spiritual Jews. And the key point that Paul is making is that salvation, a relationship with Jesus that saves us from eternal death and separation from God, is never based on our birthright. Those whose birthright is Jewish are not guaranteed salvation. And those whose birthright... birthright is into a Christian home in the United States of America are not guaranteed salvation either. There are no second-generation followers of Jesus, only first-generation followers of Jesus. And then in verse 7 through 13, Paul shows us that God chooses safe. Verse 7, and not all are children of Abraham. This is where it gets technical and refers to the Old Testament. And not not all, all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. So I want to focus in on this question. Who are the children of the promise? The children of the promise are people who belong to God and have been saved through a relationship with Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So God chooses who will be saved. And God's choice is not based on our works. God's choice is is not based on anything we do to cause God to choose us. Verse 10 says, 
And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, though they were not yet born, and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of who, him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated. So God chooses us to be saved. And why does he choose us? Simply because he loves us. God chose you, and he chose me simply because he loves us and not because of anything we've done. And when did God choose us? God chooses us before we were born. He chose us before we were born and had done anything good or bad. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So God chooses us before creation even existed. So what does this mean for us? That God chooses us before time and space were created simply because he loves us. Well, three things I want to mention. There are many more, I'm sure. But the first is this. We can have joy in being chosen by God because God always gets all the praise. There was not, and is not, and never will be a point where we become the decisive cause of our salvation. God has chosen us freely so that we may not boast in ourselves, but only in God. And this is good news. This is really good news because we were made to find our greatest joy in praising God. Let me say that again. We were created by God to find our greatest joy in praising God and not by being praised by others. And I think we can all confess that that's a struggle. Sometimes our greatest joy can be being praised by others instead of praising God. But that's not how we were created. And what our greatest joy is by being praised by others. What happens to our joy when they stop praising us? We can always praise God. We can always find joy in being who we were created to be. Praisers of God. Because we're chosen by God. This sets us free from our circumstances. My joy comes from praising God. I'm set free from my circumstances. My circumstances is where I try to find joy from. I'm a slave to my circumstances. Second is this. We can have joy in being chosen by God because a person is never too evil to be chosen. No person is so bad that they can say in response to the gospel, I can't be chosen, I can't be elected, I can't be one of the elect, I'm too evil, I have sinned too long and too deeply. 
No one can say that because God does not choose us based on how we do or whether we sin or not. How much we do or don't sin. He chooses us because he loves us. So to the person who is broken and in despair and being crushed by the world around them and the world inside them, God says, I choose you. Because I love you. Not because of what you're doing, what you've done, or what you're going to do. This should bring joy. Because we don't have to earn God's love. It should bring us joy for a second reason. People in our lives that we love, or maybe we don't love so much, if they don't know the Lord, they're not too far from God that they'll never know Jesus. And we can have joy in being chosen by God because our assurance is rooted in eternity. Eternity past and eternity future. God chose us in eternity past. Before the creation of time, God chose us. And he chose us to spend all of eternity future with him. And so our assurance of our salvation is rooted in eternity in both directions. And so this should bring us great joy. Now, if God chooses us, should we ask the question, is anyone not chosen? And all God's people said, no, I don't want to deal with that one. This is maybe why, when I thought I would share this sermon on the 5th, it didn't happen, and on the 12th, it didn't happen. Maybe on the 28th, too, I don't remember. Because of this question, I really had to wrestle with it. John Piper took nine months to wrestle with it. Is anyone not chosen? So verse 11 and 13 describes God electing Jacob and seemingly not electing Esau. It says, though they, Jacob and Esau, were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, told by God, this, the, the mother of uh, Esau and Jacob was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, it's quoting the Old Testament, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Verse 14 through 18, it seems that Paul is saying that God does not choose some people. What shall we say then, verse 14? So Paul's trying to answer this question. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? In other words, how could, how could God not choose some people? He says, by no means, for he, has to, he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, okay, Pharaoh was not a good person either. For this very purpose, 
I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he, God, has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Is anyone not chosen? So there are at least three ways to answer this question. I'm sure there's many other. These are the three basic ways. Answer the question, does God not choose or elect some people for salvation? All the theologians in the room are like, how is he going to answer this one? So there's Reformed theology. It says this, in summary, about election, about God choosing people to be saved. Election is unconditional. This is what Reformed theology would be. Election is unconditional. It is an act of God before creation in which God chooses some to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. And then, so Reformed theology, what about those who God chooses not to be saved? Reformed theology calls this the doctrine of reprobation. Now, in the church world, we don't use that word very much because it's a really difficult doctrine, but don't ever call anyone a reprobate, okay? That's, that's, that's like a four-letter word, okay? So, so reprobation is the sovereign decision of God before creation to pass over some persons in sorrow, deciding not to save them and to punish them for their sins, and thereby to manifest his justice. God receives glory when some are saved unconditionally. God glorifies himself because while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us, and this leads to our salvation. So this is the Reformed view in a very (laughs) small nutshell. And so this seems to be what Paul is saying about Pharaoh in verses 17 and 18. And there's Arminian theology, and it says this in summary about election and reprobation. Election is conditional. Reformed theology, unconditional. Arminianism, conditional. Election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some to be saved because he foresaw that they would respond to his call. He selected only those whom he knew would of themselves freely believe the gospel. And this seems to be what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. Paul says this, This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but it is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the Arminians would say, the Arminian theology would say, God gives us a free will choice. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. 
And this leads us to call on the name of Jesus to receive salvation. So, Reformed and Arminian. And here's the third that I'd like to share. There's a mystery. There's a mystery regarding God choosing. Both Reformed and Arminian theology agree that God invites us to repent and to trust in Jesus for salvation. Where these two frameworks uh, differ is Reformed says what's most important is God's glory. And Arminian theology says what's most important is man's free will. And I think the mystery of God's choosing is that his glory and our free will are not contradictory, but they're complementary and perhaps equally important. Think about what Paul has told us in Romans so far. In a nutshell, the gospel says this. For what? Romans chapter 1, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain. Plain to them because God has shown it to them. So God makes it all plain. Everybody gets it. They may not say it, but in their hearts, they get it. It's all been made plain. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the mystery of the gospel is God's ways are higher than our ways. Does God choose us? Absolutely. Do we choose God? We can. And we should. And we get to. And we can live in that mystery between unconditional election and conditional election. I was told once, Tim, when you talk about the mystery like that, that's a cop-out. You have to choose one or the other. I'm like, no. If it takes John Piper nine months to come up with his idea, I'm good with the mystery. And we can also acknowledge that we can't fully understand God. But we know what he's done in our lives. And we know what he did on the cross. So what do we know about this mystery? God chooses us, and we choose him. Jesus chose to go to the cross to pay for our sins so that we could choose to turn to him for forgiveness and for eternal life. And when we choose to surrender our lives to Jesus, we receive the gift of eternal life, and we're invited to join God in his work of rescuing others from their sin, from their brokenness, and from their despair. So God has chosen us. God has chosen us. Because God has chosen us, are we listening to God as we make our choices? Because the choices we make will determine how dangerous our faith will be. And so I want to leave you with three questions to reflect on this week. Question number one, and they're in the outlines in the bulletin. When did you choose God? 
I'm not talking about the exact minute and the day and the hour and the week and the month and the year and exactly where you were. You may know that, you may not. I know that I was in a Hummer in November of 1989 somewhere in Hohenfels training area. I don't remember the day, I don't know, remember the time, but I know that since then God has transformed my heart. So when did you choose God? And if your answer is, I haven't chosen God, then I encourage you to choose him. Surrender your life to Jesus and watch God transform you like he has transformed so many others. Like he transformed the author of the book of Romans from a person with a murderous spirit to a man of faith who is so dangerous to brokenness and despair that his faith changed the world. When did you choose God? And then the second question is, why did you choose God? So when I was in ninth grade, one of my friends, Kirk Hughes, walked up to me and he said, uh, Betsy Hugenbrook likes you. And I had a one-word answer to that. Two letters. So. But immediately I'm like, yes. But see, she chose me, and then I got to choose her. But every day, it's about choosing. Every day, we choose each other. And there comes a point in a relationship where the choosing is just permanent. God has chosen you. You get to turn around and choose him. And as you walk with Jesus and he leads you and guides you, eventually that choosing becomes permanent. And you can't think of any reason, any way, no way, no how that you would walk away from Jesus. No circumstance in life could cause you to reject your Jesus. So why did you choose God? But more importantly, why are you choosing God today? Why are you choosing Him today? What is He doing in your life? And how are you responding? How are you listening? How are you walking with Him? Why are you choosing Him today? When did you choose God? Why did you choose God? And why are you choosing God today? Finally, I want to encourage all of us to have the heart of a rescuer. The heart of a rescuer. There are people in our lives, family, friends, neighbors, classmates, co-workers, that have been chosen by God, but they don't know Jesus yet. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, this will be the last thing I'll say, Listen to this, the heart, of a rescuer, the heart of a rescuer. Therefore, Paul writes to his, his mentee, the person he's mentoring, Timothy, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. They've been chosen, but they haven't surrendered to Jesus yet. So, Paul the rescuer says, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect 
that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you allow us to choose you. And Lord, we thank you that before the beginning of time, you've chosen us. And Lord, we've come here today not to be spiritual couch potatoes, but to be transformed so that our choices would make our faith dangerous. Lord, we want to do everything for the sake of the elect who don't know you yet. Lord, we want to follow you in a way that would bring you glory. Lord, we want our free will to choose you in every choice we make. And so, Lord, we thank you that we are not robots, but you've given us a will, a will to choose. And we get to choose the one who's already chosen us. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to the podcast now. And for more info, including sermon outlines, visit our website at www.kurtlandchristian.org.